Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... This episode's called Meet the Producers. We'll take you inside the world of NHRA television with Steve Reinches and Pete Richards. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. The NHRA's VP of Broadcasting and the Senior Coordinating Producer for Fox Sports. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here. Welcome back to another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And uh, this is a podcast that is happening on a very quick turnaround week for all of us in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing as we came off and uh, a brilliant weekend in Topeka, Kansas, and prepare ourselves for what is always a wild weekend in Brainerd, Minnesota. Uh, In particular, I have about a 36-hour window home, so that's where we're cranking this baby out and getting it out to you. And I'll be heading up to Brainerd for the Lucas Oil Nationals on Wednesday, working with Alan Reinhardt uh, calling sportsman action on Thursday before we switch into our television making moves. Uh, Friday evening, we'll have live qualifying coverage and going to have a lot of great qualifying coverage throughout the weekend. And of course, eliminations on Sunday. And our elimination show will be on the large Fox broadcast network. Your local Fox affiliate, if you will, is where we'll be at this Sunday. Uh, we were on a long run of those Fox shows. We were on FS1 from Topeka. Had a great audience. Had a great show. And we'll be back up on the uh, on the network, so to speak, this Sunday. Check your local listings for times, but it's going to be a barn burner up there. And this show is going to be interesting and different. Uh, we're talking to two guys who are uh, very almost primarily responsible for our television broadcast. Uh, the first guest you'll hear is Steve Reinches, who's the vice president of broadcasting for the NHRA. And he is a guy who often sits in the producer's chair. Uh, helping to make our shows. And the second guy is the senior coordinating producer for Fox. Uh, His name is Pete Richards, again, a guy that I work uh, hand-in-hand with, just like with Steve. And the point of the exercise here is to to give you – maybe some perspective on the size and scope of NHRA's television broadcasting commitment, and then also um, to give you some of the inside baseball to kind of educate you so you can watch our shows with a critical eye. I think um, I can speak to, you know, especially with me and Pete and Steve and and Tony Pedregon, um, we all watch this stuff with a critical eye now. And, And once you know more about the kind of intricacies of how these shows get put together, Um, You can watch at home and and pick things up and see things or maybe better understand how we're creating and and doing things. And I hope that this uh, this couple of discussions you'll hear between uh, Steve and I and Pete and I uh, will enlighten you a little bit and kind of uh, get you on the inside and take you to a place that maybe you don't know a bunch about or take you to a place that uh, you know something about. But we can fill in some of those gaps. Before we get on with those chats, though, uh, Topeka Bears speaking about, of course, just a uh, just a wild, wild race day uh, from end to end. You had Matt Smith switching motorcycles because of a catastrophic uh, transmission failure in a Suzuki. He shows up on Sunday morning and has his Buell bike out, which is legal. There's no rule against any of this. Uh, we have to keep saying that because people say, how can you do that? Well, there's no rule against it. He has a backup motorcycle. It's just that the backup motorcycle happens to be of a different brand and configuration than the one he was qualifying on. Uh, he did come out and run significantly quicker on the Buell, um, beating Steve Johnson uh, early in eliminations and then uh, ultimately getting eliminated uh, for Joey Gladstone going on to get his second win in his many races. Then we had the drama of J.R. Todd's car, uh, who was disqualified after the first round. Uh, the, the, the scuttle bit, the scuttlebutt, if you will, uh, was that the headers uh, were like one degree off, but a degree off nonetheless in terms of their uh, laid-back stature. So uh, that, that car was removed from competition. Alexis DeJoria was reinserted. Then we had the John Forrest Cruz Pedragon run where, you know, Cruz is in there deep and John is in there so deep that he flickers the bottom bulb of the tree. Uh, Cruz then reacts to that and goes off the starting line. He is fouled out because of a red light. And John effectively idles down the racetrack for a 23-second elapsed time and and (laughs) moves on to the next round. It was just wackadoodle. Uh, Let's see. Then we can go on and we can talk about uh, Troy Coughlin Jr. beating Greg Anderson in the final round. We can talk about Bob Tasker the third, fourth, final in five races. He wins another one. Antron Brown, um, who, who told us during qualifying, he said, uh, we figured it out. 
and we always hear racers saying that they figured it out and we wait and see what will happen next and a lot of times it's a bit of a letdown but not this time Uh, they made a change to their supercharger program and that change to the supercharger program certainly seems to have been just what the doctor ordered and we'll be seeing exactly how much power they're making this weekend at Brainerd because finally we're going to have a race day that is not going to be 100 degrees we're going to have a racetrack that shouldn't be 150 degrees and so this will be this is going to be like the extended dance remix version of Friday night qualifying in Brainerd because the conditions we have seen on Friday evenings uh, as they typically are the best of the weekend are going to translate uh, really throughout this entire event in Minnesota high temperatures are going to be somewhere mid to high 70s of course our evening qualifying sessions will be way way quick with that uh, nice tight racetrack there are only two professional categories at the Lucas Oil Nationals this year it is top fuel and nitro funny car of course we have the D-Wagon Pro Modified Shootout Saturday and their Eliminator to be run on Sunday. Um, And we have Mountain Motor Pro Stocks up there. It's going to be a great show. But in the concentration of our television world, um, it will be a two-category television broadcast. So we're going to be able to tell a lot of stories, take you into depth of things that maybe we don't typically have time for. And you're going to understand a lot more of this when I get into these conversations and we discuss uh, maybe what you should be looking for this weekend on our shows that may appear different or more in-depth than some uh, other broadcasts when we have maybe four classes to fill and to cover over the course of a three-hour show. Um, You know, Topeka, shout out to the fans as well. Saturday crowd was great. Sunday was stronger than I expected just because of the, I think it was 105 degree heat index. It was just sweltering. And those of us, um, those of us that are lucky enough to have an air conditioned uh, workplace at the racetrack, um, we made sure not to brag about that. Uh, I made a couple of quips to Bruno when I was throwing to him in the starting line. But um, with all sincerity, thank you to the fans that fought through it. And certainly thanks to all the the folks with NHRA at race control and pit control and the starting line and the safety safari that are out there geared up all day just dealing with the misery. So it was something else. Um, we saw Bob Tasker third do what he has done consistently for a month now, which is make final rounds. Um, that car is, and we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, with the guys, but uh, that car is one that, even though he's fifth in the points right now and he's a half a mile back from from Robert Height like everybody else is, um, that's going to be a car to be reckoned with uh, once this regular season closes out, and that's going to close out uh, at the end of the U.S. Nationals in just a couple of weeks. So uh, we have a week off between Brainerd and the U.S. Nationals. Typically, this is a week used by a lot of the teams to uh, make test runs, the indie tests, so to speak. I would have to guess that many cars, especially those that are on the struggle bus, uh, will be trying to, to do just that. So um, notable notes from the race i'll give you a couple of highlights here um and the and the wrong side of the ledger let's call it clay milliken and austin proc have fallen out of the top 10 it is now um you have tony schumacher in ninth you have antron brown in 10th with his victory and then you have clay milliken 11 and austin proc 12 we saw the frustrations boil over for austin proc in the first round the car smoking the tires over speeding the engine and then backfiring in, in kind of a a gory, you know, mechanical gore fest out there. And Austin climbed out and landed a uh, solid overhand right uh, onto the body of his race car. Just, again, that physical manifestation of the anger and the frustration that that team's been experiencing. Uh, Tony Schumacher. Um, Tony Schumacher was in the top 10 before he actually started his car on Sunday morning, even though he entered the race from the 11th position. Reason being that Austin Proc had that massive oil down in the first round and uh, cost himself enough points to kind of fall out of that position. So um, some movement on the bottom part of that top 10. Uh, Pro Stock Motorcycle, Joey Gladstone just continues to be uh, beastly on the motorcycle. The reaction times, the performance, um, and again, as good as that bike has been in the hot weather, we're going to see how quick it is in the cooler weather. He had out-qualified the field by something like half a tenth of a second um, in the in the hottest part of the day. So uh, he is looking uh, as strong as he ever has, stronger than he ever has. He's the, the points leader now by 64 points which is three rounds, and he will carry that into Indy because the bikes are, of course, not in Brainerd, Minnesota. And then in Pro Stock, Troy Coughlin Jr. stopping Greg Anderson in a, in a really kind of um, nail-biter of a final round. His second Pro Stock victory, just like Joey Gladstone, in his second victory in a row. Uh, we're going to have some information on the show this weekend about others who have recorded not only their first victories uh, in this fashion, but 
the the small number of people actually it's not as small as you may think number of people who have gotten their first two victories in back-to-back races that is the brief synopsis of Topeka. Uh, it delivered on every level. And, and listen, for Antron Brown to win top fuel, um, I, I think our sport is better for it when, when Antron Brown is successful. He's such a great ambassador and, and obviously works so hard. So we'll find out if their, uh, their performance translates into the woods up in Minnesota. And the same can be said for Bob Tasker III and his whole team. And this is a racetrack Matt Hagen has had a lot of success at. Dickie Venables knows this place, uh, is very capable of, of taking advantage of the conditions, and we'll find out if this is kind of a get-well weekend for Hagen before we go to the U.S. Nationals. I'm sure they would like that very, very much. So that is my uh, take on Topeka. We're going to now move into our chats, our conversations, if you will, with our guest today. And the first one is going to be the Vice President of Broadcasting for the NHRA. His name's Steve Righteous, and, well, he's my boss. Listen up. Steve Righteous, how you doing, man? Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. This is this is high stakes poker on my end of the table here, so I got to make sure I ask the right questions. <laughs> hey, you you uh, you know you we, you do a great job. We we have a great relationship, and this is uh, this is cool to be on this. So I, I appreciate the invite. I feel I feel kind of special now. No, yeah, good. I'm glad. It, that's, that's that's the whole point of this. So I'm, I think I've already succeeded. But no, I, I the reason I wanted to make this particular show this week, obviously, super tight turnaround between our Topeka race and and when we go up to Brainerd. But I I, I want to get people a little bit more educated uh, as to what kind of the scope and size of the production is kind of how the normal weekend works when i talk to pete in a little while i'm going to get him in the nuts and bolts of actually kind of how the show physically gets made but from can you give people a little perspective on you know on a typical race weekend when we go to brainer to make the show this weekend how many people are coming in for nhra how many people are directly kind of hands-on involved on any given any given sunday yeah, and I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a unique situation really with, with any live uh, sports broadcast. There are a tremendous amount of people involved, um, not only the traveling, but also from a local perspective. So we travel um, anywhere from 30 to 35 that jump on a plane um, and or, you know, drive in from, yep. from what would be outside a normal kind of local distance. But, and then when you factor in, uh, some of the local positions we hire for, for things that we call utilities and runners that are really kind of the, the nerve center of the sport, uh, uh, the, the support boots on the ground. We, we can have upwards of, uh, you know, between 50 and 60 people on site. So it's a, it's a pretty sizable workforce. And obviously, you know, in my position, the coordination of what happens not only during the weekend once we get to site, but, but even probably just as important or more important is the logistics of getting everyone there and making sure that we have we have the resources on site that we need and it starts on you know monday tuesday and and as technology is involved and as evolved rather and, and as things have, have come along i mean obviously 2020 was a was a situation where it was everybody was minimizing people and and get keeping people spread apart the whole we all we all remember that situation but out of that has come some pretty fascinating stuff and you know there are certain events where we have people that are you know for instance, uh, Jen Lorenz, who's a very talented uh, woman, she works with us on the kind of the graphical side, I guess we'd say. But there are there are events where she's doing her job from her home in Denver. Yeah, and I and I think that you know we call that we have a very good relationship with our our mobile unit provider, uh, Game Creek, and as part of kind of the evolution of television, and it, and it really started um, at a high level just before the pandemic. But I think to your point the pandemic sped up everything um, for us in trying to figure out how to be um, budget conscious, uh, technologically savvy, and really use every resource we could, um, you know, with the evolution of broadcasting in general to really keep, you know, costs contained and be smart about keeping the level of production high and and have the the same amount of workforce, but but do it in, in kind of cutting edge ways. And they have, uh, a system that we have implemented called Game Creek Anywhere, which basically allows um, a remote workflow for a number of employees on any given weekend uh, that can can join the broadcast as you know as support and or you know at rare times even on air for for somebody yeah. like Tony. But it's a uh, it allows us to send everything that we need to send out of the production unit. Um, to remote locations and they integrate as if they are, you know, sitting there in the truck. It's been pretty fascinating. And, 
you know, it, it gives us the ability to, uh, you know, to streamline travel um, in a time where, you know, we had a lot of things going on and had to be conscious of everything that was going on around sure. around the country for even a basic thing of jumping on an airline. So it, it, it's been it's been fascinating. It really has. And it's uh, it's it's a it's a again, it's you kind of see this technology evolve right in front of your eyes. It's It's wild. So. All right, so we're talking about you know let's call it fifty people. We'll be we'll be on hand this weekend uh, working on the broadcast, and there are things that happen. Uh, let's say with a network show, like we're going to be on the Fox Broadcast Network this weekend, um, and so when we get to those larger audiences and so, and those bigger broadcasts, there are some there are some different uh, knives we can pull out of the drawer, and I'd like you to speak to that a little bit because I think people notice at home. Oh, okay, you got this different angle this weekend, or you have this that and the other thing involved in the show. Um, if you can elaborate on on one. Who are the people we're working with to make that stuff happen? And two, what's some of the stuff that uh, that we get to shine up on the, uh, the the broadcast shows? And to your point, exactly. We 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 bring out some let's call them extra resources when we know that we're on the the Fox National Network broadcast. I mean, as part of that that whole scenario, we know that we have um, more than just our core audience tuning into that show. So. You know, we need to have more tools at our disposal that can better explain um, the situation of drag racing. So to your point, from a technology perspective, we have, I think, really tried to push um, some significant additions. I think, you know, at the starting line, you'll see uh, staging cameras yeah. uh, on, the, on the Fox broadcasts. Um, and really, uh, you know, our thought there is if you're just thinking big picture, it's like how do we best translate uh, what what we all know, you know, inside drag racing is being a very significant part of the sport. Yeah. Um, and the entire staging process and the cat and mouse and the, and the you know, the uh, the strategy that goes into it with, you know, in each individual driver or rider. So that is, that's an area where we felt we could, we could gain some, you know, significant resources. Um, the staging cameras, we also uh, added a, you know, specific to the starting line, an additional starting line, super slow-mo camera which really just gives us a, a better way of, of showing reaction time and who got, you know, potentially a whole shot on that. Um, and, and then beyond that, we, you know, and I, I'll give credit to a couple, you know, people. Uh, obviously, we have a, a great team um, and, it, and wouldn't be without all of the resources working together. But, we, you know, we also have added wireless pit cams to those shows. Yes. Um, that give us a, just a little more scope inside the pits, what's happening on the turnarounds. And as you know, we, we do jump in there with what we call our RF cameras um, to get some footage there as well. But the pit cams have been really cool. And, and I really, you know, we couldn't do any of this without, you know, the, what I would call the nerve center of our operations team. And Rob Hedrick, who's our senior director of production and just has an unbelievable understanding of technology and how to integrate, um, you know, we talked about the Game Creek Anywhere scenario early, but just how to, how best to integrate technology into the workflow of what we do on site. And, and a lot of this would not happen without his support. And then, you know, beyond that, Mason Armstrong, who is our, our lead uh, field operations supervisor, and he is, he's just... Yeah, a, that guy's on it. A, yeah. Yeah, he's an extraordinary wealth of knowledge at every facility we go to. Um, you know, he's, he's been on the show dating back to the diamond P days and where he started, uh, you know, right out of college. So he has an understanding of the facilities and the work and, and even the basic things of, of, of where the fiber needs to be run and what kind of hurdles you're going to run into at a facility. So those two guys, have, they're just instrumental in the overall, um, success of what we were able to do with technology. Yeah, it is insane. I mean, the, the amount of moving parts uh, it, among the people is one thing, but the fact that all this stuff actually has to work uh, is an, is another thing. And the miles of wires and the engineers and all the guys and uh, men and women really that that make sure that uh, we don't tip over when we're on air is is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, and go for it. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I, 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 you know, getting back to your original question, and, and Brian, I like to ramble, so you know, just, just <laughs> go for it at any point, but. Um, you know, the, there's, there's some groups that are instrumental on side as well that we would, you know, we call our vendors, basically I mentioned Game Creek, uh, our mobile unit provider, but 
all of our RF in-car technology is uh, from a company called 3G. Um, they're outside of our you know, normal, let's say, staff production, but they are extremely talented in what they deliver from an RF technology to give us all of the onboard coverage that we get. Um, and then uh, we have an additional partner, SMT, uh, which is all virtual signage. Uh, they come in, gives us the ability to do some really unique stuff. Uh, I mentioned the staging cams earlier. Yeah. All of the um, the on-screen graphics presentation part of the staging cameras is all SMT. And give, you know, gives us as soon as the cars are rolling in, you know, we can see pre-stage, stage. Um, you know, they, they red light, etc. So uh, our technology is a big part of pushing this this the success of these productions forward. And when you look at you know 3G. Uh, Game Creek, SMT, um, they're they're a huge part of our success. And listen, the three G guys have been have been super cool this year. I mean, the addition of the uh, onboard uh, camera for motorcycles is something we'd never had until this season, which is great. Um, the drone, which has been a great addition, and and it was funny because there were some people asking me why why was there no drone in Topeka and. It's one of those things. There are places we can't fly a drone because it's near an active air uh, air base, which is the the case in Topeka. It's the case in in Las Vegas as well. But uh, we have the major drone coming this weekend for the Lucas Oil Nationals in the form of the Lucas Oil Chopper, which is always a great thing to have. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, just uh, our I think one of our the biggest challenges we have is really showing the pure kind of scope of the facilities we're at, yeah. and also the the, the quick acceleration of the vehicles the overall speed and and you know the lucas oil chopper uh you know we're excited to have them at a few events each year just be able to get the relativity of the speed from that and then you know we've had our fatheads eyewear drone um and they've been a great partner on that this year to do the same thing but also just to bring you know some unique shots that i don't think we've ever seen on the broadcast before you know povs above the midway and being able to see really how inclusive this sport is from the fan experience i mean you, you we talk about it all the time internally but the 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 access that the fans have on site and the ability to get into the pits and be right up next to these drivers i think you see it a little bit when we have our normal cameras but when you have the chance of seeing seeing it from the drone or looks or chopper just how many people are in the midway it's uh, it's cool to add that kind of perspective to it as well so yeah those and again that's technology those, those are two things that, you know, uh, the chopper's been around for a long time, but the drone, being able to send a live live feed and a live signal that's stable and works is something that's really evolved in the last two or three years. You know, in your position uh, with the company, I think it's unique in that um, you have to serve you have to serve more different groups, bosses, masters, however you want to say it, really than anybody else. When we look at you know from a let's call it a race control side or race administration side, the job there is to put on a good race, is to make sure that the races run fairly, that the racers are treated right, and the fans get a good show. In your position, you have one uh, making sure you get dozens of people to the racetrack, and and these people are you know doing their jobs correctly. Two. Uh, race teams who are more than happy to open their mouth and say, we need more TV time. Well, everybody needs more TV time. Um, sponsors, we have a lot of different sponsored items on the on the broadcast, and people want to see their stuff you know, done a certain way and, and spoken about or seen a certain way. Um, and then you have the racers and the race fans. So that has to be, in my estimation, from, from where I sit, as far as challenging parts of your job, that's got to be a, a very challenging part, just balancing it and, and trying to literally do the best by everybody. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a few more gray hairs than I used to have <laughs> a few years ago. But you you mentioned the key word there, and it's just balance. It's really it's it's balance and teamwork. And we're in a we're in a very unique position in the NHRA, and and we have a one we have a great relationship with Fox Sports, and you'll and you'll hear that side of it when when Pete Richards joins later, and and you know we're all peas in a pot out there on site um, with the collaboration of Fox Sports and Pete and Frank Wilson and, and his group. Um, but we also, you know, the NHRA produces, you know, these broadcasts that air on Fox, which means, you know, it's an NHRA assigned production team. Um, and part of that is unique in that, you know, I specifically am in, you know, a lot of um, meetings where we have a tremendous amount of collaboration internally where, you know, I can, 
uh, I'm constantly in communication with, you know, our sales team and, and Brad Gerber. And then, you know, you speak to the, the racing administration side with Josh Peterson and, and the live event side with Evan Jonat and obviously marketing PR, um, you know, with, with Jeff Young and Kristen Wetzel. We are all in constant communication. And I think, you know, have, knowing that you have a good internal team that can walk through the processes and, and can kind of collaborate together. We, we, we all are, you know, lockstep in, in, in how we want to work together and, and, and translate the things that we need to on air at the same time, you know, from a production perspective and, and I'd imagine Pete will talk about this a little bit too, is just, you know, one, we have to have editorial integrity with what we're doing on the television Absolutely. show yep. and we have to, conscious and aware of the storylines that really take precedent over anything when we're producing these shows. So, you know, it all comes full circle. It's a tremendous balance because we understand the importance of the race teams, the drivers, our sponsors, um, you, you know, the national event track and all the objectives everyone's trying to get together to, to best promote the event. But at the end of the day, we have to one, um, put on the best TV show we can from a storyline perspective and what we think the viewers are going to, going to deem the most important thing to see and, and be editorially accurate with everything we do and make sure that we are, we're fitting in a, a sales and a sponsor item that, that we know we have to do it in a seamless fashion. And I think that's where we've really come a long way is being able to do that in a way that seems organic and, and is enforced. So yeah, no, violence, I, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to talk a little bit about um, the challenges of uh, making a drag race for television versus the challenges of other traditional sports, because you've been in sports television for, you know, a, a, the majority of your life at this point, uh, whether we're talking about baseball, traditional stick and ball and, and drag racing, you know, your history of the NHRA goes back uh, a lot longer than uh, some people may know. I mean, back in the ESPN days, you were you were in the truck uh, doing uh, less in terms of you had less responsibilities outside of the truck, uh, but you still had all the responsibilities inside it to make the shows. And I guess I'd like a little bit of perspective on that. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, the major difference um, between a traditional stick and ball sport and, you know, when you're dealing with live sports, be it college football, NFL, baseball, basketball, any of those, I mean, what you're seeing live is, is what's happening right then and there, time and place. So, you, you know, you may have a two-hour broadcast and you're on, you know, live with exactly what's happening in the moment. Um, I, the, the, the most significant difference with what we do is that we have a combination of live and also what we call live to tape. Yes. And that's a, that's a significantly challenging situation. And I think... You know, I think we're fortunate in that we have come to a place within the telecast to where we are pretty seamless at making it making it all seem as if it is happening or just just happened. Um, but it takes a lot of behind the scenes effort to make that happen. And anytime you have an event that's taking place over, you know, at a minimum from the professional categories is five hours, and sometimes can be up to six and a half, seven hours, and you're trying to fit that into a three-hour broadcast window, you, there, there are a lot of, you know, I don't want to say, well, yeah, there are a lot of tricks that we do um, within the daily production that really make that happen. You know, we have constant layout and pickup points within yeah. what we're recording live to tape. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of nuanced shots and, and camera shots that kind of combine a run where you're watching the show looks like it, it literally just happened. And then, you know, we're going to burnouts or picking up with the next pair. Well, the reality is that's, you know, in some cases, if there's oil downs or delays on track, that could be 15, 20 minutes between pairs. So it's really getting back to your question. It's really, a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to do the show in a way that makes it feel as if it's live but in, in reality has taken a long time um, to occur throughout the day. And that's the biggest difference. Um, there's not a lot of, um, you know, in live, live television, there's a lot, not a lot of opportunity for redos. Um, and we try and take that same approach. I mean, I would give a lot of credit, you know, to you specifically 
um, and your ability to just you move and shake, man, and you can you you make it very smooth, you make it very seamless, and and I think it's a you know it's a credit to where you've come from and your environment of of being embedded, you know. Um, in a number of different drag races and a number of different situations from day one in your career. So I, I think it's it's worked out really well to have someone like you who can kind of shuck and jive with everything we're throwing in your ear, which is a, is a ton. Well, thank you. That yeah. I don't think people would understand. Yeah, well, I think it's it's uh, all of us, I, you know, all of us, I think, make a make a really good team. It's a, it's a fun thing to to kind of when we wrap up on Sunday afternoon, you kind of look back over the day and it's just like, wow, it, you know, when you, when you kind of know you hit it right, it's a good feeling and, and everybody puts their heart and soul into it. Is there another sport on the planet? And this is an honest question. You may not know the answer, but for instance, this weekend in, in Brainerd, we will make six television shows. We have two qualifying shows and a race day show. We have a Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series show, and we have a pro modified and a pro modified shootout show to make, and a pro modified race show to make. Is there another sport on earth that extracts six television shows from a single event? I, I mean, I, I think the short answer and the quick answer for me would be it's very rare uh, to know. I mean, I yeah. think there are there are certain things I've worked on historically. You know, the X Games come to mind back when I was with ESPN, and and that it's a similar setup to where you're, you're aligning a number of different venues and one facility together and you're, and you're, you're jumping between venues and you have, you know, some shows that air on a couple different networks. So maybe a little bit there. Um, and then from a, you know, production perspective, I, I haven't personally worked on golf. It's probably one of the few gotcha. sports that I haven't worked on, but I have heard that golf is a, you know, is extremely challenging as drag racing is for really, making the narrative um, come to life between live programming and, and tape programming from a shot that may have happened, you know, yeah, it's a good point. Ago. Yeah. It's a good point. Cause they're kind of a start and stop. Like we are in terms, you know, the guy butts, the, then he's going to get to the next hole and wait. And yeah. So no, that makes total sense. Yep. And then a little bit of track and field, you know, experience a little bit of that. And, and that's, that can be similar with having, you know, you have your field events going on, you know, inside the track and then you have your, your sprint and, you know, distance events going on on the outside. So there, there are some comparisons, but no, for the number of shows we're ch- churning out, I mean, in the same day, in a number of cases, I would say it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite rare. And it, it, you know, it speaks to, again, to the team that we have and the crew that we have on site. So one last thing I want to hit you up on, and I think this is one of the coolest stories. Uh, you have a lot of cool stories, but to me, this is a really cool story that I'd like people to know is that you were involved on uh, the Sunday Night Baseball uh, broadcast for years. And who who were you the guy to show? Who were you chauffeuring around back in those days? Who were you hanging out with? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny. I, I played baseball in college and then played minor league baseball. So, you know, for me, um, you look back and it's like, wow, it was a pretty incredible transition when I went from playing minor league baseball. And then the first show that I ever worked on when I got hired with ESPN was Sunday night baseball. And I was at the back in that time, they had what was called a, a, a travel PA or a travel production assistant. Um, and, and I would learn, you know, the ropes about, you know, the basics of television and hang out in the tape room and, and, and gather all of the video that we needed on that specific weekend for any storyline that could come up on site. So I would do that kind of Monday through Friday, let's say. And, and, and that was a significant learning experience because you, you think back in the day, we didn't live in the, uh, the tapeless <laughs> environment we live in now. Right? right. So you now all of our video, you know, and, and again, credit to, to, to Rob Hedrick and, and, you know, a few of our people internally that have this really robust, uh, cloud-based editing or cloud-based video system um, in Sony C, but all of our stuff now goes, gets pushed up in the cloud from our production into, into servers that we can use anywhere throughout the organization. Well, back then you were, you were humping and carrying anything (laughs) that you needed to bring to site. So not only did you have a clip list of, you know, 100, 150 items sometimes for what was a really important show, um, but you had to lug it all aside and make sure it got there. Now, the second part of that, and this is where you're getting at, is that when we arrived on site, not only would I help out in the tape room um, in, in other roles throughout the, the broadcast, but my main responsibility and, and obviously was 
nervous as can be with was picking up our our on-air commentators at the time, which was John Miller, um, obviously legendary voice of baseball in the San Francisco Giants and Sunday Night Baseball, and then, oh, by the way, throw in Hall of Famer, um, one of the best players in, in the history of Morgan. And my sole responsibility was picking up each of them and at the airport and making sure that they would get anywhere they needed to go throughout the weekends, um, you know, airport to hotel, hotel to, to you know, the ball field, et cetera. Um, and, you know, what an experience that was is, you know, somebody in my early 20s and, and just, you know, that, and you didn't have GPS back then either, you know, <laughs> right. mind you. So <laughs> right. it, was, it was like planning out multiple routes, you know, if there's traffic, you have a printed out piece of paper um, with, you know, two or three directions. And, and it's amazing now how, how crazy you get with, like, you can get lost now in a, in a second, even though you have GPS, because you just don't think through stuff like you used to. Yeah. It's like you put in an address and, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to follow whatever, you know, Google Maps or Waze tells me to do. But it was, it was, an, it was an amazing experience. And they couldn't have been two better better guys i mean just true professionals and you know of course we all have stories and and you know we it, it was it was an amazing time it was a unique time and i think it really laid the groundwork for from preparation from day one but yeah joe morgan john miller it's uh that's yeah, great it's pretty wild to drive them around yeah that's pretty cool it's a to me it's a nate it's just a great uh great visual to see it looking down at the piece of paper or the bead of sweat coming down your forehead trying to get into dinner on time <laughs> Yeah, I would, I would like to think I remember the first time I actually had to pick either of them up, but I think I was probably such a nervous wreck that I just <laughs> completely blanked out of my mind. But it, uh, but in the end, they, you know, they, they were like I said, they were great. We, you know, we trusted in each other to to do the job, and um, and it's actually, you know, it's one of the one of the shows that I met, you know, an earlier iteration of our SMT partnership on site when. I was one of the first to uh, to launch what you know is widely known now throughout the industry with K Zone, and that was um, yeah, that's that was, cool. You know, Andrew Lorenz, who is now um, with SMT, uh, you know, one of their executives there. He he uh, he and I helped launch that uh, in day one. So pretty cool how it's come full circle. It is, man. Looking forward to uh, this weekend up in Brainerd. It's going to be uh, far more comfortable for the racers and uh, all of us. It's going to be, I think, in the mid mid to high 70s, and we've been on a streak of uh, several races where it's just been boiling hot. So it's going to be a fun, uh, really kind of a performance weekend. Uh, I will see you in like two days, and uh, we'll have some fun up there in the uh, in the woods up in Minnesota. Thanks, Brian. This was fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah. I'm going to go harass. Uh, I'm going to go harass Pete Richards next. there you go i like it all right so our second guest on this episode of the nhra insider known as meet the producers is in fact one of the producers pete richards who is the senior coordinating producer with fox for the nhra how you doing pete hey brian how are you buddy i'm doing good and uh you know this show's a little different we have a very tight turn between uh topeka and brainerd so i'm trying to give people a little insight not necessarily from the driver's seat but maybe from inside the tv truck yeah, it's definitely a challenge for us in the TV world when we have back-to-back races. And uh, I think if we go back to the Western Swing, we're on, this is week five out of six. Yeah. So it start. I mean, it, Topeka hadn't even really ended. And I know by the time we got to dinner Sunday night, we were already kicking around ideas, not just for Brainerd, but already looking ahead to Indy and Redding too. So yeah, and that's the, one, uh, the machine. The machine is constantly in motion. Well, and that's one of the things I want to talk about first is the fact that you know um, uh, we had some time to get out in the pits uh, at Topeka and, and saw a bunch of fans. And I get asked this question a lot. They say, "Well, what do you what do you actually do between races?" And it's tough to explain to people that we do this every single day, right? Oh, uh, every, literally every day of the year. I'm sure if you scroll back into our text history. And I know that you and Tony Pedregon and Steve Reinschitz and I have an ongoing group text. I'm sure on Christmas Day, we had three <laughs> or four texts talking about the Winter Nationals, right? So it's, it's every day. It's all day. Um, I, was, uh, I was driving home from the airport yesterday, and I got a call from someone in our programming department asking about some specific detail about Brainerd. And I'm like, I'm not even home 
from Topeka yet. I can't even begin to wrap my head around it. But I got home, I set my computer down, and I got right on it. So yeah, it's uh, we're working on it. Uh, 24-7. Yeah, it is an interesting thing, and, and you kind of explain to people, well, you know, we, between your preparation, whether you're getting your notes and stuff together, or between, you know, trying to figure out kind of what storylines to highlight, it is um, it is something that all of us are kind of thinking about and chewing on every day. Um, in terms of, I want to take people kind of inside the truck a little bit here, and in terms of making the show, and you've been involved in a bunch of different motorsports and a bunch of different, uh, you know, types of properties over the course of your career in production, what makes it so unique to make a drag race for television? Um, I think the most unique thing is um, if you compare it to a NASCAR race, for example. NASCAR race, race starts at 1 o'clock. They're on the air at 1 o'clock. Green flags at 20 after 1. They produce content for 15 or 20 minutes, and then the green flag starts. Green flag drops, and they go racing. And the race is on, and you're covering the race from start to finish. And the race ends, you do some interviews, and you're done. Now, with NHRA drag racing... Uh, for anyone who's been to the track before, obviously they know, but if you haven't, if you only watch our shows, it is an all day thing on Sunday. Um, last Sunday at Topeka, I was producing the show. We got to the track at seven 30 in the morning. We had a little production meeting. We had our, uh, our delicious uh, McDonald's breakfast. We kicked <laughs> around the ideas. We had some interviews planned and then literally the interview broke. You and Tony got your suits on. You went and did the stand up. Uh, Amanda and Bruno went to the pits and we were knocking out interviews. We put together the tops of certain segments because uh, you have to get that stuff in the can. And then when the race starts at 10.30, we're covering the first round. We cover uh, the first round from 10.30 in the morning until about 12.15 or so. And then we we stop for a bit. Uh, and then, you know, the other classes run, the sportsman classes, top alcohol runs, pro mod runs. Uh, some of those classes run and then we pick it back up. So we're constantly starting and stopping. Um, and the time, the timing of this is the timing of this is one of the one of the more amazing things that I've come to realize uh, over my my tenure in this job is that um, you know and I explain to people at home they don't really get it and then you then you tell them about it where you take a five hour race day and make it into a three hour show and the ability yeah. to kind of time all that out and you know we have a perfect example this weekend where. Uh, we have a three-hour air window, but this is a race where we only have two professional categories in Brainerd. We have Top Fuel and Funny Car. We have right. we have weekends where there are four categories, and we're trying to wedge it into two hours for our NFL window. And there are weekends where we have three categories in three hours. So if you can talk a little bit about that, because especially this weekend, I'm not sure I have ever done in since 2019 a race with only Nitro Funny Car and Top Fuel. It's um it's a different scenario, and as a producer you think about, okay, what is comfortable? Uh, and doing four classes in two hours is definitely not comfortable because basically you have to pick up each run after burnouts, you show the run, here's a replay or two, maybe an interview, and then you're constantly starting and stopping. Yeah. This weekend coming up at Brainerd, we have plenty of time. So when the first round starts, we're going to be able to just almost take the viewer to the track. They're going to fire up the first pair of cars. I think at Brainerd they started at 11 local time. Yep. And we're going to be able to stay with it. And we're going to be able to tell some stories. And we're going to be able to talk some people to some people. We're going to be able to take our reporters and put them in the pits so that the magic of the turnaround, which to me um, as a fan is so interesting, that these cars go down the track 330 miles an hour. Sometimes they blow up. But if you win the round, you got to get that sucker back to the pits you got to tear the engine down and and the the symphony and the dance of of reassembling a car almost from the ground up yeah. in an hour is fascinating to me and i'm hoping that this weekend since we have a little more time we'll be able to do things like that yeah. now the interesting thing with the topeka race topeka race that we just finished talking about starting the race at 10 30 in the morning we actually plan the day so that when the finals hit we are actually live live so we are actually showing the viewers what's happening as it's happening and that is that's a little bit of tv magic and we have the best ad in the in the television industry melissa armstrong who keeps me straight i know she keeps steve straight <laughs> keeps everybody she makes in sure <laughs> she's 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 like the mom of the crew that if you look over at melissa and she says you're doing fine you know you're doing fine so 
it's going to be a different scenario this weekend, but we have. It feels like every week we have a different way to do the show. Yeah, and and I think it keeps us all on our toes, and I'm 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 pretty excited to see how uh, how this plays out. And and look, I love Pro Stock and Pro Stock motorcycles as much as the next guy, but this is the way the schedule shook out. So I'm um, kind of excited for that opportunity to to take a little bit deeper dive into into some of this stuff. And and what is that? the other thing that's interesting from my perspective is that. When you're just announcing over the PA to the house, you have all the time in the world. You know, you have you get to kind of wax poetic on all this stuff because that's what's going on. Whereas for us, you know, depending on like you said, if it's a four class race or a three class race or whatever, um, you'll say, you know, we're going ten to launch, meaning ten seconds to launch or fifteen to launch, or we're picking it up after burnouts, and and that's a whole. You know, my internal clock has to go. Okay, like what am I gonna what am I gonna say here and, and make it impactful in that amount of time? Whereas this weekend, I think we're going to be able to to expand on things. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think another cool thing about it is it's going to give Tony more time yes. to yep. explain what just happened, to tell people what they can expect to see. Because, I mean, you and I both know he's so good at uh, breaking down what's just happened and seeing things that you yes. and I, who have never been in the driver's seat and never will, would never even consider. And he can break that down. And and I love Tony to death, as, as you do. Sometimes Tony and I have to... Uh, to get our timing straight because uh you know he's he's just got so much to say and sometimes it's difficult to uh to get everything in the time allotted so this weekend i think we're going to have a lot more time to uh to explain things to our viewers and if you can give people a bit of a picture um a literal physical picture of what's happening inside the truck and on any given moment so like let's say let's say we fire the first pair up on sunday morning who's sitting next to you who are you speaking with and, and who are you most directly communicating with in that moment oh Okay, so when they, when they fire a car, so, so the way it works is on Sunday morning, we pre-produce probably the first six or seven minutes of the show, and then we always end with the ladder so that when the national anthem on site finishes, we know the first thing that happens as soon as the home of the brave is sung, then they fire that first pair of cars. So I'm sitting on the front, bro- front bench of the TV truck. Melissa is to my left. Uh, our director, Chris Meadows, is sitting to my right, and the technical director, Gordon McBride, Who's, who's probably has more drag racing experience than any all of, of us combined. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of us. Uh, he's the he's the man put, punching the buttons. So as soon as the first cars fire, we know that we're coming to that beautiful jib shot. We've got uh, a pair of brothers, Jarrett Franklin and Josh Franklin. Uh, Jarrett's at the, at the starting line. Josh is at the top end. Jarrett brings us that beautiful shot that brings us inside the drag strip. The first pair of cars start. We know that burnouts are happening. Normally, we'll have a, a report from Bruno at the starting line before the first pair even goes. I'm talking in your ear. So what I'm doing, Brian, uh, I, I'm counting you into when we come back uh, to being you know, live live. Yeah. So I'm counting you. Okay, uh, we, we're rolling gold, which is the, which is the uh, machine that we record the show on. In three, two, one, and go, Brian. And you're talking, and the, and the first run happens. And what I'm doing is, our director is looking at the live cameras. I have the replay machines right in front of me where okay. I can see five or six different looks at what's going on. So I'm not watching the race from program. I'm looking at the replays. And then depending on how the race goes, I have to decide in an instant what the best way to summarize the race that just happened is. If somebody beats somebody on a whole shot or if somebody gets uh, a red light, I'm going to almost always start with, the, the shot that looks straight ahead at the two cars and we have the reaction times burned into that. So if uh, I, I just, I was, I'm watching the top of the Seattle show back and the first pair, Austin Proc and Josh Hart went, of course, Proc blew up, but what people may not remember is Austin killed him at the, at the tree. Yes, he did. So we took that first replay. I think he had a 47 light. So we show that in slow motion. Then I'm like, okay, what's the next thing that shows what happens down the track? We have a sequence of replays called speed, but it's, four or five low angle cameras that are mounted at track level that really shows the progression of the race as we go along. Since we had an explosion, we have a couple machines, we call them Mo and Curly, they're super slow-mo machines that really shows the impact of the explosion. And then by the time we do the replay sequence, we are already thinking about the next pair. I'm talking to race control. Uh, We've got an official from the NHRA that we're in communication with, I'll say, have they fired the next pair? And if he says, no, we're down to the track, then I'll almost always, when Tony's talking over the replay, I'll get in your ear and say, when Tony's done, we're going to lay out. 
Yeah, and that's, we're gonna we're gonna oh, go ahead. And this is one run. I mean, literally, the, this is one this run. Is, yeah, right. this is what you described this as, is, is this, one this of is one run. One of dozens that will that will happen exactly. over the course of the day. If it's a full field race with four ladders of sixteen cars or bikes, that's sixty different races throughout the course of the day. Now, sometimes in the first round of pro stock and pro stock motorcycle, we'll do highlights. Yep. But we're talking 45, 50 times a day. We are doing that process. And then we decide, do we keep going? If, they, if they've already fired the next pair of cars, we'll just keep going. And if they don't, we'll lay out. And sometimes I'll say, okay, we're laying out. And then two seconds later, we'll say, okay, next pair is fired. It's like, all right, so then we have to pick up again. So it is definitely a lot of uh, communicating, a lot of thinking, a lot of decision-making. And I know me when I'm producing the show, by the end of the night, I can't decide anything. <laughs> I've made yep. 10,000 decisions. What do you want to, do you want to, do you want to like, Go to dinner straight away, or are we going to return the rental car? Or are we going to? I'm like, I really don't care. Just point me in the direction and tell me what to do. You know, and uh, as you can hear by my voice, I'm I'm, I'm still wrecked after uh, two days of it in Topeka. Well, I think with another thing that's interesting too is the you know the unexpected things that come up over the course of the day. So um, let's visit the situation with Cruz Pedregon and John Forrest, not necessarily for what happened physically on the racetrack, but for the fact that the television truck becomes a resource for the NHRA at that point to review tape. So as was all this other stuff going on, you got a phone call yes. or, or Steve did and said, Hey, we need to see this, right? Absolutely. And then what we'll do. So I, that, that happened in the first round where you had the bizarre scenario where John's light flickered and Cruz went early. He had a red light. John went way before the green light and didn't even really go. So that's such a bizarre thing. John's declared the winner. Cruz is DQ'd. Then race control says, hey, can we take a look at all the looks you have of that? So we have to get to a point where we can stop our production and show replays to race control where Josh Peterson and his team in race uh, operations takes a look at it and they make the determination if the, the results of the races that happen on the track stands or if they have to change something out, something up. And um, it's uh, it's. It's something that I think that people may not realize how involved the TV truck is. And the other thing people may not realize is 50% of the time when Brian's talking to the audience, I'm talking in his ear. I'm telling him what the next thing is. I'm going to say, when Tony's done, you're going to Bruno. Or we're going to break and I'm going to show you of John Force. Or um, when Tony's done, we're going to go to Amanda. And we are also coordinating with, with, the, with the team that does the – the announcing to the house, yep. Alan Reinhardt and Joe Costello, um, they take our interviews for that. So while Tony's talking, I'll say we're going to the top end and Amanda with Steve Torrance in 10, 9, 8, and that count is going in everyone's head. Brian's head, Amanda's head, Tony's head, and they have to finish their thought and be coordinated while I'm talking to them. And I'll never understand how someone can do that. I couldn't do it right now. If I'm talking to you right now and somebody got in my ear, I would stop. It's such a it's such a specific skill to what you do, and you're so good at it. Well, I appreciate that. Um, hitting, you know, we talk about the timing, the time windows. It is something that uh, historically is difficult for us to do because of the nature of the of the drag racing business. But ending the show at the moment it's supposed to stop is is. As you mentioned, in a stock car race or even a sports car race that's run on a clock, um, right. it just comes to a stop and it ends. And, you know, we've had scenarios where um, where we've had one racer maybe that's that needs an extra five minutes. Everybody else is waiting. We're waiting and we're watching the, the, the meter click off because there's obviously programming coming behind us. Uh, the Denver scenario on Sunday was pretty interesting in the fact that in a very rare occurrence, NHRA actually changed the order in which the finals were run. So Top Fuel was not yes. the last thing down the racetrack. And, and that was done. So we could so we could cinch it up and, and get our get our show completed. Yeah, that's right. And and one of the more difficult things is we are totally dependent on what happens on the track and with the competitors. Yes. We have a schedule. We have a plan every week. We also are on a network. And the Denver show was on the Fox Broadcast Network. It's a little different when it's on FS1 because FS1 is an all sports network. And when we finish hopefully we finish on time and we manage to do that in Topeka. But if we run a little bit long, it's sort of understood on a sports network that you get to finish your show within a reason. Of course, if, yeah. if it's raining and it, we're two hours away from, from racing, that's a different scenario. But right. as long as the competition is ongoing, we're allowed to finish when we're on a broadcast network and I'm the Fox affiliate in pick a city in Sacramento, California. And I've got my, my five o'clock news ready to come on as soon as this drag race is over, 
they're going to want that newscast or whatever program they have yeah. to start on time. And the, the, the different thing with the network shows is every affiliate across the country, 200 Fox affiliates take these shows. They all have different things. Sometimes it's the Fox uh, Sunday night primetime lineup, which starts at a fixed time. Sometimes it's local programming. And almost always our network window is our network window. And if we're not done by the time that time is up, we're done. We're going to get moved to FS1, FS2, the app. Uh, yeah. No scenario was great. We're going somewhere so, else. So, yeah. So the scenario that happened in Denver, I think Bob Tasca and his team had a problem or a little bit more complicated um, turnaround. Yeah. turnaround than they normally do. And Top Fuel was ready. Funny cars weren't quite ready yet, so we ran the Top Fuel final. And I think we ran I think we ran bikes and pro stock out of order too. Yes, or I believe is that we did. A different race? So everything was all jumbled, but, but sometimes – we, we have to go away from what the normal procedure is to make sure that the show happens on time. And, and the NHRA is so great at working with Fox and making sure that everybody gets taken care of. Because at the end of the day, if we get kicked off the network and we are on somewhere else and we lose 80% of our audience, that does no one any good. No, so it, it's, no it doesn't. it's definitely a partnership and a lot of talking and we've had meetings and we talk every week and we talk during the day. Like there's a plan when we start the day. Okay, first round is going to be at 11. Second round is going to be at 12:45. Third round is going to be at 2:15, and the final is going to be at 3:45. That's usually the plan. Yeah. It doesn't always work out that way, so we we have to be nimble and uh, and make some changes on the fly. Yeah, and it's something that uh, I think most fans are kind of getting the picture at this point because it's been years that uh, that we've been uh, obviously partnered with Fox. I still get occasionally like, "Oh man, you know, why did you guys get switched over?" Well, if you look back historically. You know, NHRA uh, in its previous broadcasting uh, agreements was either uh, began whenever the the, the spirit moved uh, the network that we were on at that point and, and ended and went, got shoved off the ship pretty quick as well. But, you know, I think for us, you know, we there's some notable some notable moments for us, of course, was the Indy race in 2020 where, yeah. you know, that was a battle that that uh, the fighting the weather and everything else. And we were, we stayed on the network for a lot longer than yeah. our, our allotted spot there. So, you know, it is a it is a, a valuable you know, like you said, a valuable back and forth relationship. And it's like any relationship. You, you can't abuse it, right? You can't go, hey, well, right, right. You know, if, if you're 30 minutes over it's, every week, we got a problem here. Exactly. And we, and, and part of my job, when I'm not producing shows, I, I have a great relationship with Steve Branches, who I know has already been on the podcast today. We, we, we kind of trade off doing shows. And my main job, my, my job for Fox is I'm the coordinating producer for Fox. So my job is to coordinate these things with, between the sanctioning body and the production and the network. So it is definitely give and take. I mean, you and I are motorsports fans, not just drag racing. And I know both of us were watching a race from a different series on a different network that was on their broadcast network the other day. And they got booted like yeah. before a third of the race was completed. Yeah. And I know as a fan, I, all of us are fans before we're, professionals sure, right absolutely as a fan it's a lot to ask your audience to have to move and change the channel two or three times and if you can get your audience on the network and keep them there that is such a huge value and i think and i hope everyone that's listening and all of our fans that are watching know that we try everything we possibly can yeah. to keep the experience for the viewer as good as it is as good as it can be because we're just like you we, we want to see the race we've started to watch to its conclusion without having to find the remote and figure out and what channel is FS2 <laughs> right, and right. where's my login for this. None of, we, as little of that as possible is what we always aim for. So hopefully we can uh, we can service the viewer and make sure that they can see this great product every right. week. Let's talk a little bit of Brainerd here. Um, just a huge victory for Antron Brown out of the depths of despair. All of a sudden, here he comes. Um it, to me, this is a giant litmus test this weekend. We have we're going to have finally for the first time in about a month and change conditions that are conducive to a being comfortable to actually being outside in and two comfortable to to go fast in in these race cars. And we saw Antron and Karate and Oswald navigate a 150 degree racetrack. So, in your mind, as we put our fan hats back on, is this the is this the big test for that team? Is this uh, do they do they have to show us their ability to go fast in the uh, better, kind of better conditions this weekend? I think so, Brian. And I and I first of all, let me say, there's no one in the sport of drag racing that doesn't love Antron Brown. Exactly. And I don't know anyone except for maybe Steve Torrance, and probably even Steve Torrance to a degree was so happy for yeah. Antron. 
he has been putting everything into building this new team and just hasn't had the results. And to finally have it all together on Sunday, man, that was such a great moment. And his joy in getting out of the car. And I'll give Antron props. We had a minute and 10 to get off the air. And he finished <laughs> yeah. his interview. He got over to the Sunoco Winter Circle. And, 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 and we were able to land that sucker on time. But I think it is a great test. I think it's been hot every week except for maybe Sonoma for the last yep. five or six races this is going to be more what it's going to be like I don't know if it's going to be like this in Indy but as we get into Reading and the countdown races as we get into the fall it's going to be more like this so if he can translate the performance that he had on a hundred degree day with a hundred and forty degree racetrack into more normal quote-unquote conditions I think that's going to bode well for him he may he may be too far out when they do the reset to contend for the championship this year, but boy, this is going to be something they can certainly build on going forward. Yeah, that's a fact. And, and you know, you, to your point about uh, about how the guy is kind of universally loved, I think I think a lot of us were so frustrated for him, and it was maybe we, yes. I, 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 even personally, I think I was more frustrated watching that team because of how much and how much I respect the guy and how much I know he wanted it. And it's like it 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 kind of gets you in a different manner when you when you know that it's such a quality person in there. You know you know that their whole heart and soul and and financial future is tied into this thing at this point and you just want to see something good happen and of course it did and you know I think one of the things that's kind of boded well for Brittany Force over the last uh, let's call it five or six races is the fact that we've seen Aaliyah win it, it the, yeah. the, the concentration of power has like spread out but it's helped her in the sense that you know she maintains a points lead mainly because uh, her main rivals keep getting bumped off early as well no that's true and you know uh Mike Salinas was able to take a little chunk yeah. out of her lead last week, but she still has it. And, and and I think what we saw early in the year was only a couple people winning. It seemed like Brittany was winning and Salinas was winning. Uh, now it's, I, I don't want to say almost anybody could win, but the, the last two weeks and, and not just in top fuel in every class, if you had said we were, we were joking about this the other night. If you had said three weeks ago that, you know, what's going to happen. Bob Tasker is going to win two in a row. Right. <laughs> Tony Schumacher and Antron Brown are going to win top field races. Troy Coughlin Jr. and Joey Gladstone are going to not just win, but dominate in pro stock and pro stock motorcycle. People would have been like, are you insane? Right. And that's exactly what's happened. So I think it's getting to be the really fun time of the year. It's almost like the dog days of a baseball season where teams are great at first. And then you get into August and weird things start happening. And then you get to September and you really got to tighten your belt and, and buckle down and, and, and uh, get ready for the championship push. I think we're going to see that. And I think I think Brittany, Brittany Force losing in the first round was maybe uh, a wake-up call for that team. They've yeah. been so good, so quick, so fast, so dominant. I, I would be surprised if they didn't get back in at least the semifinals, if not the finals, or winning the race at Brainerd this week. And listen, the Tasca thing is fascinating in the sense that um, you know, Robert's so far out there in Hagen and, and you know, to a degree, Caps, they're kind of out there. and, and But this guy is knocking down these wins, and I think it comes across, even to me to a degree, it comes across like less threatening than it probably should, just because he's, I think he's fifth in the points, and there's such a gulf between, you know, that five and three spot. So it's like he's winning these races, and I'm still not, not that I'm not sold, not that I don't think they can do it, but I don't necessarily look at Tasker and go, all right, this is the guy who's going to take down height. But once we get to the countdown and everything snugs up, maybe that maybe that changes. It's, and, 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 it's the it's the sneaky ones that always get up, right? It's not the it's not the loud right. challenge. It's the guy like I'm looking at the the stat sheet right now. Four of the last finals have had Bob Tasca in it. Yeah, exactly. He's won two of the last three races. He is closer in points. Uh, he's just about as close. He's closer in points to second than Matt Hagen is to first. Yeah. So he's he's coming. And and if I'm lining up in. Reading or Charlotte or St. Louis? Do you want to look over and see that uh, that task of Ford next year? I don't. No. I mean, this is a guy, and and he's had stretches like this in the past. I think last year he had a stretch like this, but it was early in the year, and they weren't able to sustain it. I think now we're getting kind of right to the money part of the season. He may be a he may be a player before this thing is all over. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think we discussed that on dinner at dinner on Sunday night, where it's when he had that great run, win back to back races, going to a bunch of finals. He did it at the wrong time. I mean, it's, right. it's you know, there's no such thing as a wrong time to win, but it really was for Bob because once they got to this part of the year, they were kind of out of the good clutch disc and they were out of what they needed to um, 
what they needed to do. So not necessarily a mistake was made then, but they definitely learned from it because it's like a well-coached professional sports team. When you get to the fall, that's when you want to peak, and it sure as hell seems like he's doing it now. It does. Uh, Although having said that, I still wouldn't bet against Robert Height and Jimmy Clark. That that, that car has been a sledgehammer. 38-8 and in rounds, six wins overall. And I think everybody knows the road to the championship goes through the uh, Auto Club Chevy. But, uh, yeah, Tasca certainly makes it more interesting having, like, a fifth uh, player for the championship. You know, John John Force went to the final on Sunday under strange circumstances, but he's in the semis or final, it seems like, every week. Ron Caps is certainly a force to be reckoned with. I mean, it's it's going to be super fun in Funny Car, I think, as we get down to the to the countdown. It's just it's it's so competitive. I love it. Well, Pete, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day, and uh, I will see you in like forty eight hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like uh, should I even unpack? I mean, right, I just got right. home and uh, get back on the get back on the grind uh, Wednesday or Thursday. So safe travels. We'll see you in Brainerd, Brian. And a yes, he will. And I hope to see all of you and Brandon as well. If you're not going to be at the racetrack, we certainly would love for you to be tuned in and watching Friday night live qualifying coverage, Saturday qualifying on FS1. And then on Sunday, it will be eliminations on your local Fox affiliate. So you'll tune into the same place you watch NFL football, you watch The Simpsons, you watch Family Guy, American Dad, whatever shows you watch on the Fox network. That's where we're going to be this Sunday, and that's where we will be on Monday at the U.S. Nationals as we're back to the finish of that. And the Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals is the event following the Lucas Oil Nationals up in Brainerd, Minnesota. It is always memorable up in Brainerd. Cannot wait to make some more of those memories this weekend. We'll find out if Antron and Bob Tasca can stand on the gas to a winner's uh, circle appearance again, or we'll find out if somebody else can jump up and steal the ring and make sure they come into the U.S. Nationals with a big, big head of steam. As always, thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week to look back at Brainerd, look forward to the U.S. Nationals, and get some of those playoff predictions going because we're inching that way day by day. I'm Brian Loans, and we'll be back again next week.